So when George Washington was six years old, he received a hatchet as a gift and chopped away at his father's cherry tree. When his dad found out what little George did, he confronted the boy, and we all know the story, right? He said, I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it with my hatchet. His dad then gave him a hug and said, your honesty is, more, is worth more than a thousand trees. We love this story. We remember this story. I was told it at some point. You were told it at some point. But we all know, I was telling my wife this, and she's like, is this a true story? And I was like, it's a myth. It's a legend. It's just something of folktale. The guy who made it up was, get this, a minister. <laughs> his name was Mason Locke Weems, and he told his publisher, Washington, you know, is gone. Millions are hoping to read something about him. My plan. I give history sufficiently minute. I then go on to show that his unparalleled rise and elevation were due to his great virtues. This biography was called The Life of George Washington. I think it's in the fiction section at the library. And it was filled with many other myths about our first president. A myth, by definition, is a traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people, in this case a person, explaining some natural or social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events. A myth gives something special status. It propels it from the ordinary into the extraordinary. So we have four Gospels. Do you know what they're called? Matthew. This is a test. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good. I call them the Gospels according to so-and-so. So if you don't know, you just say so-and-so. Only Matthew and Luke, if you look, only Matthew and Luke begin their Gospels with the Nativity story. According to Mark and John, the other two Gospels, they don't include this story. It's not necessary for them in the early life of Jesus. For them, they wanted to emphasize Jesus the rabbi. For Matthew and Luke, it's important for them to include Jesus' birth origin, but, and you can ask him, I'll, I'll leave this problem for him to solve, every scholar Every scholar I know and have read in seminary, they teach us this, has admitted that these nativity stories resemble stories of folk, myth, and legend. For a while, knowing this, at first I was bothered when I heard this, <laughs> but knowing this, I then eventually started to roll my eyes at the stories because I knew the meat of Jesus was in his teachings. But over time, I've actually come to place a lot of meaning on these myths and legends about Jesus. These stories speak to what is important for us to believe about Jesus. That he wasn't just any other rabbi, not just any other prophet, not just another person from God. As modern people, I know you all read the Bible on a daily basis, but maybe some of us don't. 
You know, we come to just celebrate Christmas as a type of ritual, a tradition. We don't give too much thought to the reality of what's being said as much as it marks just a time to celebrate. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe it isn't. What did the authors want to communicate to the people back then? Could they have imagined in 2021, almost 2022, that people like us would be sitting here reading their stories? Could they have imagined a science-based world that's skeptical of myths and legends? Surely, virgins don't give birth. Angels don't speak to us as they did back then, or do they? Today, we're looking at Matthew, and he tells us that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The author wants us to know that Jesus wasn't the result of natural relations between man and woman. He wants to separate the person of Jesus from every other human. He wants to distinguish that Jesus is not like the other prophets, not like the other heroes of old in the Bible. He wants us to believe that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. In all of the other Gospels, while they all don't tell the same exact story, nor start at the birth of Jesus, they all do emphasize that Jesus had with him the Holy Spirit. And whether it's from the womb of Mary or the waters of baptism, Jesus was somebody who was born of the Holy Spirit. This is very important to remember. What Matthew wants us to know is that Jesus is from God and that though he came from a woman, he was born from the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle. Now, Joseph, of course, sounds like a nice guy because I don't think if, you know, my newborn was born without my help, I would have the same reaction. <laughs> Back in the day, most people couldn't read or write. And these Gospels would be presented as plays. That's how they would be shared. And in order to give a dramatic telling, Gospels like Matthew likely added this story to pack the most punch. Because why on earth would you, anybody listen to this story? Why would you take it more seriously than, say, Plato? Why would you take it more seriously than Moses' law? Why would Jesus be greater than the giant slaying David. You would have to create a narrative that established Jesus as being from God himself. And that's the impetus. That's the drive for the author of the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we already know who Jesus is. But back then, why on earth would you listen about a, to a guy who died on a cross? Why would you take anything he said as true? you would have to establish him first as being sent by God. Then you might consider what he taught. That's what these authors wanted to do. I know this isn't the way we like stories to be today because we want facts. We want trusted and reliable sources. But this is not how the ancient world was. 
In the ancient world, they packed the details into the myths, into the legend, just as George Washington's biographer was trying to do for him. Most people weren't carrying, I mean, can you imagine carrying, if you think that Bible's big, they, were, they had scrolls. Imagine people just carrying scrolls around. But the, you know, back then, they created this narrative that people would always remember. They'd say, wow, born of a virgin, looked after by angels, visited by wise men, led to by a star. This must be someone I should take seriously. Today, we are looking at these stories in the church and remembering them. Again, all the Gospels tell us a different story of how Jesus' ministry began, but we can find one common thread in them all. The Holy Spirit is active right from the start, whether it's at the beginning of his life or the beginning of his ministry. And for me, that's what I celebrate when I think of Christmas. It's not just the nativity. It's not just the star that pointed out the wise men to the barn. It's not just the manger or a virgin birth. I celebrate Advent. Do you know what Advent means? Advent means the arrival of someone. And all of these events that take place in the symbolic legends of Jesus' birth represent the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They represent the Holy Spirit dwelling not in a temple or on written pages of a book, but instead on a human being inside of one. God in the flesh. The Holy Spirit has come into the world. They've made themselves known to us. No more behind the scenes God. God is now with us. God lived and dwelled with humanity 2,000 years ago. But God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, has not just fallen on Jesus, but do you know who else they've fallen on? Us, the church. God was with them 2,000 years ago, and God is still with us 2,000 years later. I want to emphasize this because I'm getting a little tired of this idea that Jesus, that God was just with Jesus. God is also with us. God is still working. God still has more to do. And Christmas should represent the birth of the Holy Spirit in Jesus and in the church. Otherwise, it's just a fairy tale, just a folk tale, just a myth, just a legend, and we'll wait for it to happen next year. Listen to these words from Jesus himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. When Jesus is leaving his disciples, he tells them about the same spirit that gave birth to him in the manger. It says, if you love me, if you keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Guess what their name is? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. And hear what John the Baptist says. Max preached about this last week when uh, this guy, uh, Jesus' cousin, leapt in Elizabeth's womb. But 30 and a half years later, John is preaching in the Jordan and he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. 
I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. He will baptize you with what? Water? No. Jesus didn't baptize anybody. He said, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire. Interesting. Because each week we've been lighting these candles. The first week, how many did we light? One. Then we lit another. Then we lit another. And then we lit another. And instead of just four aflame, how many are there now? Five. Do you see what this symbolizes? It symbolizes what happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus was the first one ablaze with the spirit of truth, with the Holy Spirit. There was only one. And it led him to find a religion that was more authentic, more whole than the one he grew up with, one that spoke to him. It led him to find a God who didn't just ask you to stay the way that you are, but rather a God who invited you on the adventure to find out who you are. Jesus went on this adventure. It led him into the wilderness. There he found his spark. Can't start a fire. Bruce Springsteen said it, right? Can't start a fire without a spark. In the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, he found his spark, and there he was lit aflame. And then you know what he did? He found some disciples, and he lit them aflame for life too. He gave them the spirit he had found when he dared asked to ask, who am I? And he found out he wasn't just a mortal. He found out he was a child of God, the son of God. He showed those disciples that God is not found in books, in rituals, in temples, or on mountains. He showed them that God was where? Right under their noses, inside of the human heart. And Jesus filled those hearts with the Holy Spirit. Then he went to Cana, then he went to Capernaum, then he went to Galilee, then he went to Jerusalem, then he went all over, and whoever believed in him, he lit up their hearts too. Just like those Advent candles over there. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. Listen to this. This is how John starts his gospel. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the fle- or of the flesh or of the will of man. Doesn't that sound like Jesus' birth? Born rather of God. Did you hear that? Not born of the flesh, not born of a man or a woman, but born of God, born of the virgin Holy Spirit. And from generation to generation, these candles of Advent have been lit. But do you know what the fifth one really represents? You know the trick in Sunday school, right? If anybody asks a question, you just say Jesus, and it's always right. That's not, we're not, we're not going to do that today. Do you know what the story, the myth, and the legend really wants to tell us today? That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, Alive in Jesus, born of a virgin, attended to by angels, is now lit inside the temple of your heart, if you want it. The spirit that gave birth to the Son of God 
is now inside of you. I'll finish with one of my favorite passages. Jeremiah 31 says this, The days are surely coming, says the Lord. This was hundreds of years before Jesus was born. When I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I'll put my law in them, inside of them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall, shall they teach one another or say to each other, hey, you should know the Lord. For they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, I'll forgive them and remember their sins no more. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the very first present you should open up this Christmas. It's the gift given by Jesus. He found the Holy Spirit the light within himself. He didn't keep it hidden. He gave it to us, his church, so that we might seek God and not be hindered, so that we may ask for God and we would find them, so we can knock on the door that's inside of us and our doors would be open to the Holy Spirit and be felt by all those who would dare believe in myths and legends. Mm-hmm.